Well, good morning. It's Big Church Sunday. You can hear it in the seats. I love it. Um, we love uh, our kiddos here at First Colony Christian Church, and so um, they're always welcome in worship with us, uh, if you're not aware. And then once a month, we have them um, come sit in with us, um, because we don't believe in kind of secluding them for their entire lives, and then hoping that one day when they go to college, they'll choose to go to church on their own, but instead... Um, we want them to be with us in service, even if it's a little messy sometimes, and even if um, they can be a little distracting. Bowers can be way more distracting, so <laughs> we can get through it. My name is uh, Mike Skinner, lead pastor of the church. We're glad that you're here uh, with us. Um, I got a question for you. I have a theory that there are two types of people in the world. Um, people who like icebreakers and people who don't like icebreakers. If you know what I'm referring to, like the games that... People sometimes will do to get a group to form relationships quickly as strangers. So raise your hand if you like participating in icebreakers. Okay, a very small, very small group of people here this morning. Which means I'm among friends, okay? I despise icebreakers. Um, part of that, you know, I'm naturally kind of an introvert, and so... Um, I think one of the reasons I became a speaker is so that I could sit on the side at camps and retreats and watch everybody else awkwardly participate. Um, for me, being put with a group of strangers is not the time that I want to act silly or make a mistake or share some unique secret about me uh, or play some kind of game. I've found that I um, get really uncomfortable during that kind of, it feels it's kind of like forced community to me, right? Um, instead, uh, here's what I can say. I, I've never found people who became best friends because of an icebreaker, okay? Um, they said, never have I ever, and then all of a sudden, 20 years later, right, they're still best friends, their kids play together, um, those kinds of things. Um, we're talking about community here at First Calling Christian Church. We're in a series called Deep Community in a Shallow World. Um, one of our core values at the church is... Um, to have a, a place as believers where we can belong with one another, um, where we can have this sense of connection with one another um, so that we might be able to encourage each other as we pursue Christ together. Um, and so last week we started an exploration of this idea of community by looking at why we value community. Um, because of who God is, uh, the fact that God himself is community, um, we looked at the fact that community helps us kind of uniquely experience God's love and then that community forces us and kind of challenges us to walk out uh, the commandments of God's love in, in unique ways. And so um, this morning we'll continue on talking about community. Um, if you're a regular here, you'll remember a few months ago I challenged us and said one of the things we want to focus on up until um, July uh, is, is really to make sure that we have in place exactly what we want to have in place for visitors and, and for people who come into our community, that they might be able to connect um, with who we already have here. Um, one of the things that we've found at First Colony Christian Church is that people tend to love the community feel. We're a small church, uh, kind of seems like family here. Um, and one of the other things we found too is that people can come and kind of feel like they're on the outside. And so we've said, let's try to fix this problem. Let's try to look at um, what community is and how we can best foster environments for community to flourish. 
Um, so if you have your Bibles, we'll um, look at an idea today that we'll flesh out in the weeks to come. Uh, so flip with me to Luke chapter 7. Today will be a little bit different um, than a normal Sunday. On a normal Sunday, uh, we'll pick a passage or two, and I'll dive kind of deeply into that passage. Today, I really want to explore an idea with you more, um, but we will start with uh, a, a passage here in the Scriptures in chapter 7 of Luke. In Luke 7, um, we get a story about Jesus and a healing that he performs. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to, you, uh, to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is one who has built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to another, um, to my servant, do this, and he does this. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. What I want you to notice here, usually we look at a passage like this and, and look at the centurion's faith, okay, and, and see how powerful his faith was. Or look at the, the miracle that Jesus performed, this kind of long-distance healing. Um, but, but instead I want to draw your attention to the fact that Jesus is on his way to the centurion's house in order that the centurion and the, the person who needs to be healed would have a powerful encounter with Jesus. And he doesn't go all the way. The centurion, for whatever reason, um, doesn't feel comfortable with Jesus entering into his household. He says he's not worthy. Um, perhaps there are political reputation things on the line as well uh, around where he is um, living. He, he doesn't want Jesus to come all the way into his house. And notice that Jesus is okay with this. He's okay encountering this person in whatever space this person finds himself most comfortable. Um, you'll find in the Gospels that community, belonging to Jesus, and having an encounter with Jesus is kind of a complex thing. Um, and that's what we find when we think about community itself. What does it mean to belong to other people? Um, it's a very, very complex thing. We mentioned last week, um, you don't get to choose who belongs to you, right? Um, sometimes people have a, a feeling of attachment towards you that you might not have back towards them, right? You don't necessarily get to choose that. Uh, you can tell the story of a, a child who says, so-and-so is my best friend, and the, the other child says, I didn't know that, right? Um, but you don't have to ask permission to feel like you belong, and... Uh, we uh, find this at First Colony Christian Church a lot, that people leave um, our church because of work, uh, they have to move, um, but they never stop feeling like they belong. Um, if you've been here a while, every now and then we'll get videos of people who used to come to the church, and, and the testimony we get over and over and over and over and over again is, we're in a different city, we're in a different place, we maybe are going to a different church, but we still feel like we belong to FCQ. Belonging is maybe not as simple as just 
being somewhere. Uh, belonging maybe lasts much longer um, than simple time spent near one another. Um, and, and belonging can happen in a short period of time. Um, we told a story last week again of, of people who maybe don't come to the church all that often, and, and yet I hear them say First Calling Christian Church is their home church. And, and for a while I would, I would say, really? Right? I, I, kind of, I kind of look at that and give a quizzical face, and now the more I've thought through it and the more I've talked and seen some of those, to, to some of those people and, and seen some of the situations, the more I realize people can come to our church twice, three times a year, and really find a significant sense of belonging to our church. We don't get to choose whether they belong or not, right? Um, we might come up with our own rules, um, but we can't necessarily enforce those on other people. Jesus here is comfortable encountering this person uh, on their own terms. Um, what we'll find in the Gospels, if we were to flip um, throughout the, the rest of the Gospels, real quickly, if you flip to Luke chapter 10... You'll see Jesus uh, assembling with his disciples in Luke 10, verse 1. And he appoints, we're told, 72 disciples to go out on this mission. So Jesus has a group of people who actually follow him during his lifetime. Um, the kiddos, y'all can answer this one too. How many, how many disciples does Jesus have? How many people follow him? Adults, you can help if you need to. How many? 72. 72. He does have 72. He has a smaller number. Adults. We have, uh, we've got adults here. I've said adults can help. There we go. We got it. 12. Yeah. Very good. I'm proud of you. Uh, not proud of the rest of y'all. <laughs> I saw a lot of confused faces. We're going to go back to the beginning. Um, yeah, very good work. He had, he had the 72 you see here in Luke 10, and he has his 12 disciples. And, and even within the 12, he has these three that he's close with. Um, and so you see, even in the Gospels, there are different ways of following Jesus. Um, some people are closer to Jesus than others. It looks like the 12 follow him literally everywhere he goes. And then the three share some more personal moments with Jesus. And it looks like there's 72 that are organized, but yet don't follow him village to village as he preaches. Yet still they can be organized and sent out on mission trips. And just because the 72 don't follow him doesn't make them less of a disciple than the 12. Or the 12, just because they're not part of the three, make them less of a disciple than Jesus. There's different ways and different spaces that people can follow Jesus. Um, and so as we think about belonging, and as we think about creating community here at First Calling Christian Church, I want to suggest that there are different ways that people connect to one another and belong to one another, and that as a church, one of the things we need to do is explore whether we're offering the ability to grow and form significant relationships in all of the different ways that people connect. So, here's the idea. There was a man in the 1960s, Edward Hall, and he came up with a theory. He was a sociologist, and, and it kind of had to do really with architecture and, and human interactions. And he, he said there are four main spaces where human beings interact. We can label human interactions. Um, and he, he said you can start with the public. Human beings interact in public, and then you can move to the social, and then you can move to the personal, and then you can move to the intimate. 
And as you go down each one of these four spaces, it gets closer, more personal, more intimate. Um, and so he actually gave spatial dimensions for this. So if you were an architect building a room, um, you could kind of go by these measurements, okay? So he said this, um, a public interaction, usually you're looking at around 12 feet or more between certain people. Um, now I know what you're thinking, I've been in public places and I almost never have 12 feet around me. The point is not that there is just this circle of 12 feet around you unless you are not smelling very well on that particular day. The point is that you don't have to be within 12 feet of a particular person. Does that make sense? You're in a public space. You don't have to be right up close next to somebody if you don't want to. You can be on the other side of the room. You can walk somewhere else. That's a public interaction, 12 feet or more between two people. And then he said, if you get closer, there's social interactions. And this is from 12 feet to 4 feet. And in a social interaction, you now have people who are perhaps starting to talk to one another. In a public interaction, they're looking at each other across from the grocery store. In a social interaction, they're now commenting on the product that they're both looking at, that they might both enjoy or have questions about. And that's 12 feet to 4 feet of space. Then you move to personal, and that's 4 feet to 18 inches of space. He says this is, this is where people are really starting to have deeper discussions. This is where you close the boundary in the room so that you can have a one-on-one. -on -one. This is where you actually get to know somebody. This is where you have a kind of close friendship with someone. That's where this interaction takes place. And then there's the intimate, where you said it was 18 inches and less. Okay. Now, interesting theory, and architects use it, and it's, it's interesting for all kinds of disciplines, but people have also used it to describe, um, to describe ways that human beings belong to each other as a language of belonging. So, so we could say this, and, and, and I really have been captured by this idea and want to work through it with you guys over this sermon series, um, that there are four different types of spaces that human beings belong, that we find connections, um, genuine connections, where we find serious relationships that mean something to us. We find them in public spaces. We find them in social spaces. We find them in personal spaces, and we find them in intimate spaces. And as a church, our job is not to pretend that one is better than the other or to guilt people into all going towards one and not one of the others, but to make sure that in all four of them, we're offering places to grow and places to connect and places to form genuine relationships. And so um, just as a kind of prop to play this out, I, uh, I, I scaled it down a bit, okay, because uh, 12 feet is just a long piece of wood. Um, but this is representing intimate, okay, this red space right here. Um, and then you open the space up a little bit and you get social, okay, and it goes all the way to the blue, and then you open it up even more, uh, and then you, or personal, goes to the blue, and then you get the social space, and then once you're outside of the wood, you get this public space. And so I want, to, want you to watch how it happens. Ryan, if you would come up. Um, Ryan's going to start over here, and he's going to come on into my intimate space right here. Uh, in the red zone. And so, no, you face me, we're talking, we're having a conversation. You, I don't think quite in. Alright, so now Ryan and I are in this intimate space, right? He's feeling a little uncomfortable. Um, 
I can smell him, okay? He's got some cologne on, smelling pretty good this morning. We're both a little nervous because I'm one swipe away from getting a kiss on the cheek, okay? Um, Ryan now, though, has space open up to him, and now he's in his personal space, okay? Whew, you can breathe a little bit, but we're interacting. We can do a handshake, we can do a little man hug, okay? We can swap stories. Um, we can we can interact. You you would think that we would know each other, right? If we're in this type of space. If we move back one more, right? Again, now we're in social space. We might be in a circle. You might see people in a circle, right? And this might be more small talk. Um, this might be more getting to know one another. And if it goes beyond the wood, we're back in public space, right? I don't have to be interacting with him. Um, I, I don't have to uh, have him. Um, in any sense, kind of being in my, my space at all. So thank you, Ryan, for that, for getting my intimate space. Um, we all have experienced this, have we not? Somebody who talks way too close to you, and you're like, step back 18 inches. Okay? This is called intimate space, and I need you out of here. Or the salesperson, right? Who doesn't realize I want you in public space, <laughs> not in my personal space or my intimate space. I don't want your card. I don't want to sign up for your credit card. No, I don't want 30% of savings. I just want to buy what I came here to buy. We've all experienced when people invade our space. We've also experienced us mentally manipulating space. So human beings are unique in this. Animals can't do this. Um, so. To animals, space is just space, so a human uh, can train a line, right? They know if you go into a certain space with a line, the line will jump. That's how you have line trainers, right? Human beings, though, can actually make themselves manipulate space so that if they're in an intimate situation, it feels less awkward, right? Hopefully, Ryan and I didn't feel quite as awkward because we knew it was a prop for a sermon, right? If we were just doing this in my office, right, just talking about this idea, it would be a lot more awkward, right? But out here, in front of everybody, in our minds, we're going, this isn't that weird. We're trying to prove a point to people. Um, you've been in a doctor's office where perhaps they're examining you in a way that <clears throat> might be described as intimate, right? Um, but you don't feel uncomfortable because it's a doctor. Right? And there are certain defined rules, and so it feels like public space, even though if you were to measure it, right, in a normal interaction, this would be a very uncomfortable um, kind of thing for you. Um, the idea that, that, that people have come to, um, and I think it's significant for the church, is that each of these spaces um, metaphorically um, correspond to, to ways that people form connections with one another. So we can go through the four, and, and we'll continue to go through the four throughout the series. The first one is public space, okay? Public space would be what we're doing right now. We're in public space right now. Some of us, um, this is our primary connection to the church, is public space. Um, note, there's people around you closer than 12 feet, okay? Um, but you don't have to be within 12 feet of people. We're a small church, but not that small, okay? Um, and in public space, you're usually coming together around an organization or an event, some sort of outside 
thing is bringing you together. It's not that you texted somebody that you know and said, hey, let's all meet here at 10.45 a.m. Um, and so obviously there's a church service and you're coming uh, to be at the church service. Um, but in a public space, notice you have real significant connections. Um, I know people who I've only ever encountered in public spaces who I really feel like I belong to, who I value those connections. Um, they're real. They're meaningful. Um, I think we've all been at a sporting event, right, where we're in intimate space. We're hip-to-hip with people, but we're manipulating in our mind in a public space, right, because these are strangers. But then we've all felt that sense of belonging when our team scores the touchdown and we're high-fiving strangers and hugging people we don't know, right? And it's like in any other situation, this would be very strange. But it's like, no, these are my people. This is my group. I was at the uh, hospital uh, a couple weeks ago for a CAT scan. The results came back fine, so I, I appreciate the prayers. And I was checking in, registering, and I'm on my wife Lindsay's insurance and so they needed her birth date and we've been married four months and so it's fairly confident that I knew her birthday but I felt like this was something you don't want to mess up in the paperwork before you get a CAT scan so I was like I think it's this I was like well let me check and so she was kind of down in the hall and I said hey Lindsay come on over here and as soon as I said that um, the woman behind the counter said boy don't you do that because apparently she had seen lots of men get in the doghouse for calling for their wives to double check on the birth dates. And she's like, it's better to be wrong in the future. It's better to be wrong. For the record, I was right. I thought it was better to be safe um, than to be wrong. Um, but we had a, a moment. I mean, the three of us sat there belly laughing, right? I don't remember her name. We're not ever going to connect again. But in that public space, right, we connected. Um, we had a significant um, sense of belonging to one another. Then you can move into social space. Social space is what you might find, say, at like uh, something that you enjoy a hobby, for instance. Um, uh, playing a sport or running Tough mutters, things of that nature. Um, eating together, things of that nature. Um, these are social places where... Um, you are, almost it's a small talk of relationships, right? Um, where you are politely interacting with other people, um, but you're not avoiding them, right? You're there on purpose to be with them, but you're also not divulging all of your intimate secrets to them. And social spaces are oftentimes, unfortunately, um, seen as less than acceptable in churches, as kind of like, only valuable as a step on the way to another space. But what we've got to realize is, is you can actually form valuable relationships in social spaces. In fact, you can make the argument there are no other types of relationships without social space relationships. Because in a social setting, you get the chance to decide who you want to go deeper with. You get to see kind of the menu of people around you and see who might fit your personality a little bit better, right? Who um, might have something of wisdom that they can share with you, who might have an affinity with you, those kinds of things. Um, you move closer again, you get to personal space. This is what we consider close friends, people who we are sharing things with, um, people who, who we're sharing things with that we, we wouldn't have shared 
um, with the rest of the world. Now, personal space is typically what's put up as the end-all and be-all of community in the church world, okay? And the church has done this for years in lots of ways, um, primarily in Sunday school and small groups. Um, so Sunday school being before or after church, a group of people would get together and study the Bible or pray or talk about life and faith. Or a small group, sometimes during a week, a group of people would get together and do the same thing. And the goal is that over time, it'd be less socialization and more personal time, right? You're sharing things about each other. You're becoming close friends with one another. Um, churches have tried this for a very long time, and what we've found is that churches have almost never gotten over 30% participation in this space. And the reaction to this 30% mark has often been a poor one. It's been one where people have been told, you're not a good Christian if you haven't come into this personal space. You, you can't really belong to the church, right, unless you're in this personal space. Um, these social spaces, these public spaces, these, these are only stepping stones into real community, um, which is a personal space. Here's what I want to suggest. Maybe the reason most churches top out around 30% at these personal spaces is because only about 30% of the people need to belong at that point in their life in a personal space. Everybody needs to belong in all of these spaces. Try in your mind to imagine living without one of them. Try living without small talk. Um, I suffer from depression, and so I've found that if I'm in kind of a depressed mood, if I stay home and then just get up and go where I need to go, that will foster my depression a little bit more than if I go to, say, stores and run errands. Because when I'm out in public, I get to be amused at what that person's wearing. And I get to have a little conversation with a stranger who's checking me out. And I maybe get to share a joke, right, with somebody I don't know. My life is enriched because of these public interactions, right? Relationships that are long distance often complain of this. Um, we don't have this small talk um, to talk about, the, the everyday small things of life. Um, so all human beings need lots of public interactions, and then a little bit less social, a little bit less personal, and then really for intimate, I would make the argument, as, as a lot of scholars do, that this is really your spouse. Um, intimate is naked and unashamed. Um, where personal interaction would be your sharing, um, things that most of the world doesn't get to know about you. Um, intimate is where there's no line at all, right? The two have become one. And maybe in like a really, really, really best friend, the line is blurred a little bit in a non-sexual way between personal and intimate, right? Um, but seemingly those would be the differences between those two spaces. Now here's what I want to suggest. I want to suggest um, that churches do a disfavor when we pretend that everybody has to belong in a personal space in order to experience true community. I don't say that to denigrate the value of personal space. I belong to small groups. We have small groups at the church. We're going to probably start some more small groups at the church. They're beautiful things. I say this because I don't want us to devalue 
the true significance of community that can happen in a public space. Even though sometimes we think, this isn't a real belonging. It actually can be real belonging. It makes a significant difference in someone's life. And as a church, we've got to be clear that we're inviting people to come and belong in a public space. And that if they don't want or if somebody doesn't need to go to a social level or a personal level with the church at this point or that point in their life, that, that they're not seen as second-class citizens, right? They're not seen as people who, who just haven't followed the path long enough. And come and, and, and belong in the public space. In fact, in a public space will provide ways for you to grow spiritually. We're not going to hide all of our spiritual resources in personal spaces. And instead, in each space, there'll be ways for you to grow to each other and to God. Public spaces, social spaces, personal spaces. We've got, um, I think, of the best example of our, a personal space at the church right now would be peeling back the layers. Um, our women on the fourth Monday of every month meet and they share. Um, they often um, share very uh, intimate things with each other and, and confess things and pray and cry <coughs> and really bear their hearts out to one another in a way that they don't do with other people. But imagine if that was the only kind of community you had to offer somebody. Do you think that everybody would be prepared to come from belonging in a public space to going to peeling back the layers? Probably not. I've never been, but it scares me to think about it. <laughs> It's very personal, right? So as a church, I think what we need to do is, is we need to, to sit down and ask ourselves, and, and this is the thing that I'm doing right now, and, and I'm interested in your input as well, is in all four of these spaces, as we continue to grow, as we continue to want to offer true, deep community to everybody who desires it, are we offering free invitations, clear paths to grow, in public spaces, in worship environments like this? Do we offer social spaces for people to belong and connect and find God's spirit at work? Are we offering personal spaces? Do we make sure that people know what to expect when they're going to these personal spaces? Are we fostering the intimate spaces that people might already have or might be looking for during their life's journey? As a church, this is the, the question I think we need to be asking ourselves. You know, I've made a goal that, that by July we'll have a plan in place um, where, where we'll feel comfortable as we continue to grow, saying we, we know um, that, that we'll at least be trying intentionally to not become a clique as a church, that our, our community won't just be us, but that others can come in and know where to go and when to go and who to go with in order to find friends and family and community in public spaces, in social spaces, in personal spaces. And a congregation, I think, is healthy when we promote all of these spaces, when we understand that significant belonging happens in all of these spaces. And that the spaces aren't an assembly line, that, that people aren't a project, that some people might just belong publicly. And it's not a failure if they belong publicly. You know, I've had people come to me before and, and say that, you know, one of the things they wish the church did better was 
a foster community and and they offered me a couple names of people they wish they would see in community and I could tell them I've talked to those people they don't want to be in that type of community for whatever reason right it's not bad on them they're not looking for that type of sharing right during the week and bearing their secrets um, and then I've had other people who say right we've got all the community we need um, there's, there's no kind of problem community here at the church. And again, I can say, I can also tell you other people who say, I'd like personal space where I can share with people, but I don't know how to get there. Um, I, I, I see opportunities, but they don't seem like necessarily they're the best opportunities for me in my place in life. And so one of the things that, that we want to do as a church is, is look at all of the spaces and say, are we offering places to grow? Are we intentionally or unintentionally pretending that one is better than the other? And pretending like true community can only be found in one of these spaces. Um, and then as an individual, I would ask you this. As, as, as we talk about the value of community, to so look at your life. In fact, it would be interesting. Look, try to list out all the things that you belong to. Which is a long list, if you really do this correctly, Right? So I would belong to the Houston Rockets, right? I belong, all the things that I feel a sense of belonging to, all the organizations, all of the people, it comes out to a really long list. And then divide them up. Which one of those are public? Which of those are social? Which of those are personal? Which of those are intimate? And as individuals, we flourish best when we have a lot of public belonging, a little bit less, but a good amount of social belonging, a little bit less, but a good amount of personal belonging, and then some intimate belonging. And if in your life you can look around and say, hey, there's no one I really share my life with, maybe that's something you start looking for. Maybe that's the next step for you in your pursuit of community. Or, or maybe you have someone you can bury your secrets with, but you have no one you can have fun with. And you need some social space, some social belonging. Um, that's not a bad thing. That's not a worse thing. We need all of these spaces to flourish as human beings. And so as we continue to look at community and all of the various facets of community, I invite you to start thinking through this idea of the four different spaces and how we might as a church and as individuals um, create environments where we can connect to one another and to God um, wherever we might be and, and wherever we might feel most comfortable. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for the time you've given us this morning. Uh, I, I thank you for um, the family that you have brought us into uh, when you called us into faith in Jesus. I thank you for um, the different levels of community that you offer us, Father. I, I thank you um, for the friendships that mean something to us, and I thank you for the um, personal uh, relationships where we can share in know people and be known and I thank you for the public places Father where we have um, significant attachment to other people even though it, it might not look like it it might not look significant according to someone else's rules or, or regulations I pray in all things that you would create in our church um, and in our um, individual lives and communities a a continuation of community that we would belong more and more to each other and to you, Father. Um, finding your love there and being able to walk in your love there.
Was in your son's name that we pray all these things.